Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I have a bunch of cool stuff to talk about, and not one, but two guest appearances. So hopefully I'll be able to continue to do stuff like this, where it's basically just me talking, and then I call different people in when I need another perspective, or when I just don't know what I'm talking about and need some help. So let's jump right into it and see what you guys think. First up, this Friday is Crix's Black Friday sale, where he offers 20% off of all of his products. So this isn't one of those things where you have to, like, everybody rush in at midnight. He leaves it in all day, and uh, I think for multiple days sometimes as well. So basically just wake up whatever your time is on Friday and log in and get a pretty huge discount. Uh, And if you're going to be buying some EverDrives, you might as well buy a couple more consoles too because they'll set them all on fire. Kidding, kidding, kidding. (laughs) Uh, I literally own every single one of his EverDrives. Uh, Well, for every console. Like, I don't have the X3, X5, and X7 of of something, but um, I own every one of the ones that he makes. I really do think they're invaluable tools, and any real real retro gaming enthusiast could absolutely benefit from one. Um, And I honestly don't care that it's going to wear my consoles faster than a stock cartridge, uh, because I just, I think there's just so much advantages to be gained by them. So uh, if you're a a crazy purist, um, or if you have a really rare expensive console, uh, I would check the DB Electronics website and just reference which one of these outputs the proper voltage. So I believe for the, um, a good example would be for the Genesis, the EverDrive X5, um, it should technically um, cause no more wear off of a Genesis console than your average game. Uh, so if you're using a really rare console as your main thing, like a Wonder Mega or a CDX, maybe just to be super extra careful, use one of those. But for everybody else, I personally use the X7 because I love the FM sound, FPGA emulation. Um, I, I love all the extra features, the instant loading and stuff. So, I, um, you know, it's really just up to you. But I just wanted to remind everybody both that uh, the Black Friday sale is this weekend, so definitely take advantage of it. And also that while, uh, regardless of what the trolls continue to talk about, yeah, certain things will wear down your consoles faster than other things will, but it's something that I personally am not going to worry about because I just feel the benefits of these EverDrives and other things are just way, there's way more positives to negatives. Uh, And one final little disclaimer, when I say this, I'm talking specifically about EverDrives, not those insane 101 uh, Chinese clone cartridges thing. Just stay away from those altogether. But, yep. And speaking of EverDrives, 
Crix has just added EEPROM support to the Mega EverDrive series. Uh, I believe it's the X5 and X7, which is pretty cool because any game that uses EEPROM save, now you don't need a patched version, you could just use the original ROM. Um, in some cases, this might not matter. So if you're already using the Smoke Monster ROM set, a lot of these things are already patched. And I believe the Wily Wars, which is probably the one that is the most notorious for not being able to save without an EEPROM patch, um, that has a few hacks available anyway. So if you're using a ROM, you might actually just want to use one of those others. But I, I just think it's awesome that he's continuing to add support for these things, and now you just don't even have to worry if you have the hacked ROM or not. Last week, I had talked about the ESRB ratings and how much they were charging for indie games to go on print. And I got a few of those facts wrong, but when I actually went back to research it, a lot of the articles that were written about it got a lot of the facts wrong. Um, some were worse than others, but luckily somebody who works for an indie game company reached out. Now, for obvious reasons, they wish to remain anonymous, but they added a lot of good insight and kind of behind-the-scenes info on this, so I'll just let you hear directly from them. There are only two types of ESRB ratings you can acquire. Ratings for physical editions and ratings for digital editions. Digital-only titles go through the short-form process, which is very easy, whereas physical ones go through a long-form process, which is much more complicated. The rating for digital titles has been free since 2012, while getting a rating for a physical game is expensive, like the $10,000 talked about in the article. This is meant to keep it affordable for indie publishers to get an ESRB rating for their digital-only titles, while big-name publishers have to pay. Limited-run games got around this by publishing their games without the ESRB rating on them, which Sony was okay with at the time. My speculation is because it was direct-to-market and very few five-year-olds have credit cards. You also couldn't put the ESRB rating on these digital to physical direct market titles if you wanted to, unless you paid that hefty fee and went through the lengthy approval process. The ESRB decided to change their structuring, and they added a new tier for indie publishers wanting to do physical editions, which include the ESRB rating on their cover. It's meant to be cheaper. They don't pay twice. Instead of paying 10K or more, when you meet the indie criteria with a game budget under a million, you pay only that 3K fee. When the ESRB changed their structuring, all three of the big name console manufacturers made it a requirement for these titles. The, in the ESRB didn't make it a requirement, as using ESRB ratings is technically voluntary. But at the same time, it's probably good for Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft to play nice with them. In short, for an indie title which meets the criteria to get a physical ESRB rating, they only pay 3K, not the 10K. It's either or, not both. To sum this up, the ESRB created a new, cheaper tier of rating for indie titles going physical, and the big three made it a requirement. The ESRB can't make it a requirement, they can only offer it as a licensing tier, which is why you can release PC titles physically without an ESRB rating. This is also why those new reprints of SNES games don't have ratings on them. The reason why the big three play their game is because big retailers like Walmart require an ESRB rating, or they won't stock their games. That said, I do agree with you that it's monopolistic, and further, that the big three requiring an ESRB rating on small direct-to-market sellers like limited-run games sucks and feels money-grubby. None of these indie games are going to big retailers. Even if it's way cheaper, $3,000 is a lot for an indie company, and the ESRB 
isn't really doing much for those for that money other than make you jump through hoops to get approved. It feels to me like the ESRB saw these indie publishers and were like, hey, we want a cut. And the big three didn't want to fight them on that for fear of some kind of backlash. All speculation, but yeah. So all in all, it's not as bad as you thought, but it's still kind of sucky. So as you can see, it's not as bad as I thought, but it still kind of sucks. Um, you know, overall, though, it, things like this kind of crack me up because none of us, well, most of us at least, probably wouldn't have paid attention to anything like this. And then limited run games getting on the Switch caused, you know, Nintendo and the other companies to go, well, wait a minute, you know, are, are you ESRB rated, which caused the ESRB to swoop in and find a way to try to get more money, which had a backfiring effect because a ton of press coverage has been about this. So hopefully this will all result in another company popping up to be a competitor. Um, so if anybody wants to do that, you know, come up with the same exact business model, charge half, <laughs> and uh, and there you go. Now now you could have a, a worthy competitor. I think the biggest challenge would be convincing the uh, all of the major retailers and the major companies that you're an equal partner to the ESRB, which based on pretty much the way things have always gone, that would depend on how much money you're willing to, to feed under the table to these fat cats, but hey, whatever, uh, I'll take off the tinfoil hat now. Last week was another edition of the Retro Roundtable, which I forgot to mention on the podcast again. Uh, sorry, I'm, I don't know why I keep forgetting that, but basically, if you want to see these things live, subscribe and make sure to hit the little bell next to the subscribe button. That way you'll get instant notification as soon as we go live with these things, because uh, obviously I keep forgetting to put them in the roundups. I'm sorry, but uh, if it's not a time zone that works for you, we do have everything available afterwards, so it stays up on the YouTube channel. And it's even put out as an audio podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, last one was a fun one. Um, I don't know why, but I, I just, uh, I, I think that's one of my favorite ones that I've done. Uh, and I, there's no particular reason. I, we've done a lot of really great ones. Maybe I was just in a, uh, in a great mood and had enough beer that night or something. But if you're interested, check it out. And I will try my best to remember when the next one's going to be so that I could uh, let everybody know on this podcast. Citrus 3000 PSI has opened up pre-orders for his GC Video Dual Solution, which is his internal GameCube video solution that it has both HDMI and outputs RGB. I recently got a chance to try one, and I think it's freaking awesome. Uh, because it's internal, you can do everything through an on-screen display. You don't need a remote with it, so it's just a controller combination. And it outputs HDMI and RGB simultaneously in all resolutions. So it was really cool. I got to hook it up to a BVM that that accepted 480p and you know into a, a TV that's 480p, which is the perfect solution for people who want to stream on Twitch and do capture at the same time. Uh, and it also obviously would work in 480i and 240p as well. So it's a, a great solution, seems to work perfect, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that these are starting to get out there and uh, that people are finally going to be able to experience these. Um, it's my opinion that the external is going to be the thing that most people need, but I think the number one reason that somebody would want an internal are Twitch streamers or people who run like Smash tournaments and events, because you just want everything safely contained inside the little cube. Uh, you don't want to have to worry about dongles pulling out or anything like that. So um, I think this is a, the perfect solution for them, and if you're interested, check out the link and get on the pre-order list. 
Next up, a website saw some of my previous work comparing RGB monitors to uh, consumer-grade TVs, and they started taking pictures of their own using the same methods, and I am really just thrilled and excited that this is happening. Uh, I was really hoping more people would jump on the bandwagon with this, and it's finally happening, and they did a great job. So hopefully we'll have set um, rules and standards if you want, but uh, I'm just really hoping I can get that new website up and running as soon as I can, just so we could all put this stuff in one repository, and maybe we could even find a creative way to, to format the samples so you could like drag and drop and compare whatever your monitor is to a different monitor or something like that. But uh, excellent work on the CRT comparisons. You know, it's really tough to get those shots. So uh, thanks again for doing the work, and I'm going to keep uh, promoting this stuff and hopefully eventually have a new website where all of this can live for everybody to use as a reference. It looks like people are right on the verge of a PlayStation 3 exploit for the latest 4.81 firmware. And if it's released to the public, which they think they might be able to do in early 2018, that means that every PlayStation 3 out there now, including the Super Slim, can have custom firmware running on it. Which is a pretty big deal, because at the moment, if your PlayStation happens to have the 3.55 firmware, you could use that exploit and load up whatever you want. But anything past that, you have to do downgrading. Um, and depending on the model, that could be incredibly hard. Or it, even it just, uh, on the models that are easier, if you've never done anything like that or you don't have the tools, it's really hard. So this is great news, because um, with all of these digital stores closing, I really, you know, I don't mind being a pirate. I have purchased all of the PS3 games that I think I'll play, uh, but I'm still going to make sure my console's hacked and have the digital copies saved so that if anything ever happens to it, I could just grab another hacked console and load them on there. Um, you know, maybe I'm a dirtbag for saying that, but I paid for the damn games, so I'm going to do whatever I please with them. <laughs> uh, but, and, you know, as always, I'm a huge fan of homebrew stuff as well, and, you know, even things like translations. I've seen so many amazing games being translated to all these different languages lately, which really is bridging the gap between cultures and, uh, and gaming and communication. And not to, you know, get off topic and nerd out, but... Anytime you can make the world a smaller place is better, and if we have to do that through piracy and hacking, fuck it, I am totally in. And speaking of hacking, it looks like firmware version 3.0 of the Nintendo Switch is able to be hacked through something called the Pegaswitch software. Kind of creative. Um, I believe it can run homebrew, but nothing else yet. And here's where the gray area is for me. Um, as a nerd, I love hacking of all kinds, but I want the Switch to thrive, and I want people to make games for it. So uh, as much as it would be convenient for me to just you know rip a bunch of games onto it, uh, I don't want that to happen yet. I would really like it to go through it, the, its normal course of life before it gets hacked for retail games because uh, I do absolutely want to support all of the developers and make sure they continue to make games that I like. And unfortunately, it's just the, the natural side effect of piracy is that you don't, you know, you don't get money for those games. Um, so I'm not really sure how big the piracy affects the bottom line. There's, this has been widely debated in many different uh, forums, even through music, video games, PC games, whatever else. Uh, but I, I honestly don't know. All I know is that it's probably better for everybody uh, if retail games weren't able to be played on it for at least a little while longer. Whereas the opposite, PS3 is completely at the end of its life, pretty much. Um, so I'm totally happy going down that route and just buying newer games on newer consoles. 
Next up, Voltar just created a very handy solution for capture card users. It's basically a breakout board that takes in VGA, SCART, and component video and sends it out to DVI. So it's not a converter at all, it's a pass-through device. Basically, you would just plug it right into like an Epifan or a Datapath card that can accept those signals through its DVI I port. Um, this is something that's just more of convenience because you could accomplish all these things with cables, but then you just have long streams of cables, and as we all know, uh, the longer the cable and the more analog cables are involved, the more chance of interference. So being able to go directly into this board and then go right out to the DVI port and then obviously just buy a really short DVI cable, then it just solves a ton of problems. Uh, of course, basically this is essentially an OSSC without any of the chips in it. I mean, it's the same uh, same inputs, so if you already own an OSSC, this might actually not be for you. But I know a ton of people, especially in the streaming world, that would love something like this, or anybody that wants to do direct original captures without going to digital at all. Um, so basically, you know, you still need to go component to that DVI port, but you don't want the OSSC in the middle. Um, so overall, this is just a really cool thing, and uh, I think he's going to make a short run just so we could test it out and make sure there's no bugs, and then probably make them available for everybody. But uh, I, I love stuff like this, and the only thing I think we're missing now is a way to convert composite and S-video to RGB. And obviously not for a performance gain, you're not going to make it look any better. But now we could use all of the same equipment, which, um, which would help from anything from just being able to use everything through one switch and one device, to uh, people who might not have the moment, have the money to RGB mod like a, a NES or one of the consoles that requires a more expensive kit. So you just buy a converter, stick it in, and use it through an OSSC. That would all be really nice. So if anybody feels like working on one of those, I think a box that takes composite and S-video, or maybe even RF if that's easy enough, and just sends it to RGBS, that would be pretty incredible. That actually sounds like a job for Mike Chi. He seems to have this stuff down uh, pretty solid. So if anybody wants it, I'm positive it will sell at least enough to justify your time. HD Retrovision just sent out an update. Unfortunately, the update did not say that all their cables are in stock and ready to ship. But there is some good news. Um, they have the remaining stock from their last batch of Genesis and Super Nintendo cables that they're going to be putting up for sale at 7 p.m. Monday, November 27th, this coming Monday, Cyber Monday. Um, and there's not many left, so they'll probably sell out right away. So if you were looking for one, uh, that's going to be one of those, you know, rush to get it. Um, and apparently they're going to be pulling a limited run games on everybody and... Uh, Either the way their cart works, it's possible to have something in your cart and not guarantee it. So if everybody rushes at the same time, uh, you guys will get screwed just like I did when I was trying to buy a night trap. So, um, you know, there's nothing you could do about that, though. That's the, the shopping cart that they both they and Limited Run Games use, and it's the biggest one in the world, I think. So, whatever. Uh, but uh, other good news is they finally uh, were able to settle on a PlayStation adapter. So basically you could take the PlayStation 1 and their Genesis cable and put this little pigtail in between to get that as component output. And they're also going to be releasing just a straight up PlayStation component cable for PS2 and PS3s, which I think is great because I you know one of the biggest complaints I have is where can I just get basic cables that I know are good quality. So they're in fact even going to be just releasing component video cables. 
Uh, and I'm totally going to buy some because I there's just so many times where I, I want to make sure I'm using an RCA cable that's properly shielded. So main conductor on the inside, ground on the outside. And it's, you know, without cutting cables, it's almost impossible to tell which ones are made properly and which ones just have thicker uh, thicker outer shielding. So uh, there is a bunch of good news coming from them. Uh, hopefully they'll have lots of stock of the PlayStation stuff and the component video cables because I think a lot of people could benefit from that. But I'll keep everybody updated to, as to when they actually go on sale. Next, Retro USB has announced this year's Christmas cart, and it's really unique. So it's all of their other years, uh, 2008 to 2016, all of those games in one, but this cart is clear and has an LCD screen on it. So uh, very unique and very different, and it seems like a collector's dream cart. So uh, if you're into those games or if you just want a really cool and unique thing, definitely pick one up. The first beta for the director's cut of Sonic 3D has been released, uh, and it looks very cool. Um, the, the ROM is available for anybody to try, and there's a video up on YouTube for anybody that just wants to check it out. Uh, all of my stuff is in a different place at the moment, so I can't wait to try it out. Hopefully by the time this airs, I would have already clocked some time with it. But uh, I love stuff like this, and the fact that the original one of the original developers is working on it to try to improve it, it just makes it awesome. So if anybody is even remotely interested, definitely check out the link. And thanks to Smoke Monster for passing it over. Still looking forward to his next update. There might be a fix for Rainbow Islands for the Master System, uh, more on the might part later, but it seems that the game always had a glitch in it that would prevent you from completing the game or getting to the very last stage, and it had been discussed on SMS Power, and somebody recently posted a patch that supposedly is a fix and lets you complete the game. Um, now, the whole maybe thing is the person who posted it only, this is their one and only post, and unfortunately the SMS Power forums uh, has a stalker troll. I don't know if that's the right way to call it, but it's basically somebody that creates an account and posts erroneous stuff all the time. Uh, I don't understand why. That's some severe mental issues right there, but uh, hopefully this is real, and hopefully uh, anybody that wanted to play Rainbow Islands can now finish it. Um, yet, you know, I don't want to get all preachy, but this is yet another reason why I love hacks and homebrew stuff, because you could fix th things that the original development team might have overlooked, or not had time to test, or whatever else, but uh, seems to be a cool addition. If anybody is interested, please check it out. BU has just released a new version of his Hygen emulator, version 106, uh, and this restores soft reset support for consoles, adds auto-saving RAM support, and adds a new tool to save per-game text notes. Uh, so, I mean, uh, this guy just always pumps out great updates and great work, and I'm really happy that he's still doing this stuff, so keep him coming. And speaking of SNES emulators, SNES 90X also had an update, which adds MSU audio support and support for the, some of the BSX satellite stuff. So uh, very cool that there's still progress on both of these. I remember SNES 90X when it was like actually in the 90s and I was playing it on an old Pendium. So very cool that people keep these things going. Last weekend was another Too Old, Too Furious tournament, and it was awesome as always. I was there on the first day, which was more of a, a lighter day. Uh, I think things got a little crazy on Saturday, and a bunch of stuff happened where I actually couldn't make it, so there's no real good footage of that. But uh, I love these fighting tournaments, and I love how um, it really does bring the best 
players out. And I don't really care what sport or what event you're at. Whenever you get to see somebody that's the best at their craft working at it, it's impressive, and you could totally just feel it while you're there. So, uh, you know, a bunch of cool people showed up as always. Their hardware setup was killer, as always. Uh, so maybe next time I could actually sit down and make plans and go through and, and be there on site the whole time and really just cover it. But if anybody's in the Brooklyn area when these things happen, you got to swing by because it's a, a sight to be seen. And while I was at Too Old, Too Furious, I pulled aside Art, a.k.a. Sabin, and asked if he could answer some questions about some of the CPS2 things that have been happening, because I don't think I really grasped enough of what exactly it was uh, to feel confident to talk about it last week. I'd rather have it come from one of the experts. Uh, it was very loud in there, so hopefully you guys will be able to make it out. I tried putting it through an audio filter, but who knows uh and you know thanks very much to art for for actually taking the time to do this in the middle of an event <laughs> so i keep uh, every time i show up at one of those events i try not to be in the way and try not to be a distraction but i always am so uh here's art to tell you about the cps2 stuff Hey, what's up, guys? I'm here with Art, a.k.a. Saban from Team Spooky. What's up, man? So, uh, last week, I wanted to report on one of the CPS2 things, but I didn't really... I wasn't confident enough in my knowledge. I wanted to talk to the experts in this. Um, so, a few things happened. Uh, I heard that Twin Galaxies is now allowing Dark Soft's multi-card uh, to be eligible for submissions for high schools. Yeah, that, yeah that's kind of like, like a huge deal, because usually the Twin Galaxies, like I know with their scoring system, they want a specific version of the hardware and specific boards, like, you know, US, Japan, Europe, etc. So, the, the fact that um, the Dark Soft got recognized is huge, because as you know, CPS2 batteries <laughs> do suicide, so those specific ROMs are going out of date. So the fact that they acknowledge like a, C a CPS2 that's authentic and can stay on forever is really huge, and then we can have more records for those games. Gotcha. And isn't there more progress in getting the lockout chips uh, fixed for boards that have been suicided? Oh yeah, yeah. So like, so like, I know Razula and a couple of those guys are working really hard on um, getting them like decrypted and bringing right. these things back to life, which is really awesome. So these things. Uh, these things suicide really quickly, so the fact that they bring them back to life, even bringing back the old boards is amazing. So if I understand it correctly, they designed these things so that people wouldn't reverse engineer and steal the ROMs, uh, and they they call it suiciding, where they basically just, it won't work at all anymore. Yep. So but I think Artemio last year when I interviewed him actually was talking about this, but so they found a way to, to get those boards back by using another kit, right? Yep. Right. Phoenix on that basically. Gotcha. Alright, well it's big news for uh, anybody that uses the CPS2 stuff. Yeah, CPS2 stays alive forever apparently. Sweet. Awesome. Alright, thanks a lot, man. Oh, no problem, Bob. Now for the Q&As. There's a bunch of great stuff to talk about this week, but I do have to put this out there again. Sorry. Um, I'm starting to be able to spot a troll immediately now. It's taken a while. You know, I'm only uh, an official YouTuber for like a year and a half, but I can pretty much take one look and figure out who is who now. So uh, I just want to make this point clear again on anything that I'm a part of, maybe not a guest on, but a part of, uh, always, always opposing opinions are welcomed and encouraged. I want to hear what everybody has to say, and I would love to debate people that disagree with me. And many times I've had my mind changed by people who brought up a different side of things that I didn't really recognize. Uh, but trolls are going to be banned immediately. Um, I have no fucking time for you people whatsoever. You're not funny, uh, especially some of the ones that have been stalking me. It's a little creepy, and I really wish wish I would run into you in person one of these days. Uh, maybe it's the same person, maybe it's multiple. I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But 
want to make this abundantly clear again on this podcast, the Retro Roundtable, or anything I'm a part of running, trolls are just going to get banned immediately now. And some trolls are really good at actually making it seem like maybe they have something to offer. They don't. Don't be fooled. I know it's really hard to tell, but I'm starting to be able to just look and see immediately who's who. But, that being said, don't ever be afraid to disagree. I love it. I've gotten in some great conversations with people that started out like, hey, I don't think you're right about that. Or even some that started a little ruder. You know, it's so easy to tell somebody that's just being snippy and somebody who's really just looking for a reaction. So, all trolls could fuck right off. Um, I hope just I hope to run into you guys someday. Uh, and everybody else, please keep it coming because I, I really love the discussions that we have. I really love the the different perspectives I've been able to see, uh, and I just I really appreciate the shit out of it. But anyway, on to the real Q and A's. There are a few comments in regards to the Brook converters, those controller converters for the different modern modern consoles. Um, and it seems like everybody agrees that they're good devices. Uh, and I do love how uh, the people who posted said they don't perceive any lag. They didn't say there is no lag. They, you know, they, that's the correct way to say it. They didn't perceive lag while playing. Thank you <laughs> for learning correct nerd nomenclature here. Um, and basically everybody just gave it their, um, uh, their thumbs up. Um, also, Niceified said that the Titan 1 is another controller adapter for modern consoles. Um, so I, I didn't really realize how many options were out there. And thanks for everybody commenting and for letting me know about the Titan 1. Next, Dan posted in regards to his external dual GameCube video adapter. Um, I completely screwed up. That 3.5 millimeter jack on the dual plug was for the mini Toslink audio and coax audio. There's a different connector on the bottom which handles the RGBS that's about the same as the mini HDMI. So I, I don't know how the hell I screwed that one up. I'm sorry, man, but thanks for letting everybody know. Next, uh, Pornswoggle said that those N64 manuals were just from the PAL Wii U Virtual Console and that it was just a rumor, which makes a lot more sense, but uh, I figured I would mention it just in case. So uh, thanks for letting me know. Next, Sherudo Paulson asked if there are any systems that generally need recapping ASAP, or is it just okay to do them as picture and audio starts to go off? So there are a few that I have to talk about immediately. Any of the duos, so the PC Engine duo or the Turbo duo, or the original Xboxes are ones that I know are, have a big problem with leaky caps. So the two things to worry about, um, when capacitors go bad, you know, it could cause a bunch of different issues, but when capacitors leak, that's when there's a real problem because that fluid can damage the traces on your motherboards and in some case completely ruin the console, which I've been seeing, uh, I mean, it's pretty widely documented for the duos, but I'm starting to see that a lot more for the Xboxes now. Um, I don't know too much about it other than I, th I think it plagues one set of motherboards worse than the rest on the Xboxes. But I think a good rule of thumb would be if you have either of those consoles, open them up immediately to check. And otherwise, on your other consoles, I would really only worry about it if you start to see issues. But opening it up to checking, I mean, that's it's pretty easy. It's one of those things where you might as well just do it. Because how long is that really going to take you? You know, just get the 3.5 millimeter bit or, you know, Phillips head screwdriver, carefully take everything apart, 
you know, and check and you know, look with a flashlight and see if any of the caps are leaky. If you see that weird fluid, then get them fixed. And if not, you know, like a Super Nintendo, I've seen a couple with leaky caps, but not many. So I generally wouldn't worry about that at all. But I would just open it up to look. Um, the only suggestion that I would have is some consoles are a complete pain in the ass. So if you're going to open them up, um, you might as well plan on just doing a bunch of stuff. And the one that comes to mind now, just because uh, this was just one that I had uh, dealt with a couple of different versions of, the Sega CD1 is another console that it's known to have to need cap replacements. It's not as bad as the Duos, but uh, it's a pain to work on because very often that rubber band that works the, I think it's called the Helix gear, the thing that spin, uh, spins that actually ejects the drive tray, um, that is really sensitive and they're getting old and brittle. So when you take it apart, just by pulling it apart, you're probably not going to get it back together uh, properly. So if you do that, I if you need any work on a Sega CD, I would highly recommend buying a brand new, um, the actual drive rubber band and buy one that's specifically made for the Sega CD because I've seen people use ones for Xbox that, uh, that don't fit perfect. So I would buy that, I would buy a battery, and I would do a cap replacement, and I would do that all at once, just so you never, ever have to take the thing apart again. Um, it's just a pain to make sure everything's lined up correctly. Um, so that would definitely be a suggestion. And the only other thing that I, I, I do as a rule of thumb is whenever I'm working on Atari 2600s, I change the 7805. Because even if it's not required, it's a $2 part, and it's probably worth it just to make sure. And lastly, Spyro Gyro posted in regards to the Atari 7800 video that I had shown, and he said that the garbled graphics at the bottom of the picture is because I'm using an NTSC Atari 7800 game on a PAL 7800 system. Um, and he said very few 7800 games work to the point where they're at least playable on a PAL console. So that was cool. Um, I, I should have known better, but I, uh, I got the console. A friend of mine sent it to me. Uh, really just to pull apart and try experimenting on and stuff. And, uh, you know, Evan Evan Amos got great pictures of it. Um, I did some experiments, and then I ended up buying all the things that you needed, you know, the controllers, the AC, the games. Um, and I totally didn't even think to buy PAL games. I just bought NTSC. So thanks for telling me. I, I, I don't know why that completely slipped my mind to check that. But it's still cool, uh, and it's still just a, a composite to RGB adapter built into it. But I'm really, really glad I got to see it in person. Well, that's pretty much it for this week. Just two more things to mention. Uh, first, a few people had contacted me about maybe doing that Metroid Metal MSU1 hack. So if anybody was interested, please uh, contact me again, because uh, so far I don't think anybody started the project, but I just want to make sure nobody's efforts are doubled, because I don't want to waste anybody's time. But I'm really excited that might actually be able to happen. Uh, that would be killer if that's the first thing I could play on the Super NT. But um, also I have an interview with Dan Mons uh, that was absolutely awesome. I mean, it was one of those talks where we could have just been two people at a bar, but I learned a shitload. <laughs> um, and I was really trying to share this interview with as many people as possible. So I put up a really clickbaity, possibly offensive title just to get more people to look at it. But I, I really just want that information spread. Anybody that's even remotely interested in MAME or Linux arcade gaming would probably get a kick out of it. Um, you know, I've had a few people said it was uh, my favorite interview that I did, which I thought was awesome. So please give it a chance if you're into that stuff because uh, I just, I love spreading the really great information that 
that I find. So hopefully I get to share this with more people. And uh, thanks, of course, to Dan for doing the interview and working around crazy time zone differences and stuff like that. But had a great time doing it. And that's pretty much it. So as always, comments and criticism post down below. Uh, I love hearing from you guys, and I'll see you next time.